Hey there, welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I'm your host, Dana Trampas. On this show, we're all about amplifying the voices of women and storytellers who are making waves. So we typically focus on women, but that makes today's guest extra special. So I'd like to hand it over to our guests today to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about your work. Hi there. Thank you, Dana. Thanks for having me and for extending the invitation. My name is Chris Roman. My pronouns are he, him. I am executive director of Outcare Health, a 501c3 international nonprofit profit focused on LGBTQ plus health equity. That looks and feels like many different things, <laughs> especially these days, but a large part of our work focuses on supporting LGBTQ plus people where they are in their healthcare journey. A large part of that journey is what we call the Outlets. We have the largest LGBTQ plus affirming provider directory. It ranges 50 plus different specialties across all 50 states, even some providers outside of the US and Canada, South Korea, India. So in total, about 10 different countries and in five different continents. So it's one of our largest projects, but we also support community members in other different ways via support groups, connecting them to resources, bringing together community leaders to talk about the important issues that are facing queer people in healthcare, and really trying to solve the issues in a systematic way. You touched on gender affirming care. It's a very critical aspect of LGBTQIA plus healthcare. Can you explain what it entails for our listeners who maybe don't understand what that is? And then how do you support individuals who are looking and seeking for gender affirming care? Yeah, absolutely. So gender affirming care specifically is largely focused on trying to match how you feel, you know, your gender identity with your physical body. A lot of that is emotional. A lot of that is physical, but oftentimes you are going through healthcare procedures, either taking HRT or, or other certain types of medications to really align your body with your mindset and who you are. For providers, that looks like many different things, right? There's voice and speech therapy, there's actual top and bottom surgery to really affirm you and your identity. And so often there's a lot of providers who are on our site as affirming providers. One, that they're creating welcoming spaces, inclusive environments for patients to thrive and actually are paying attention to the, you know, at risk conditions that this community faces because usually they fit, face higher physical and mental health conditions in com um, comparison to cisgender heterosexual communities. And it takes the provider understanding those nuances, the stigma, the microaggressions, and the systematic institutional barriers that exist for this community to really create a safe space, right? Um, and determine what is the best healthcare route for them. And so our providers are in that realm of activity, but also doing the more gender affirming care, surgeries, voice support and speech therapy and things of that regard. And it's easy for folks to go onto our site and be able to type these things as keywords. You know, I'm looking for a provider in Texas, a provider in Pennsylvania who can help me with these specific needs. And it's incredibly important to have a provider as a LGBTQIA plus individual to have a doctor that is affirming. I've heard stories of people that will travel very far distances to ensure that they have a doctor that is culturally competent for that for them. Can you talk a little bit about that and the cultural competency and 
what patients, the lengths they would go to ensure that they have uh, an affirming provider. Absolutely. So for OutCare, we were founded back in 2015, actually in the Midwest in Indianapolis, Indiana. So our founder and president went to IU School of Medicine and really saw the gaps in medical education, care for community members in the state, and often would see, as you mentioned, patients traveling hours at a time just to see the nearest, closest LGBTQ plus affirming provider, or even go to the one clinic that's in the state. And that's not a common or not an uncommon thing across the country where in a lot of these rural states, there are really either just one clinic or a handful of providers that community can refer to and feel safe with and respect it. And so it is a, a journey for individuals to sit there and look for a provider to begin with, You know, whether it be an eye doctor, whether it be, I don't know, to check your feet, <laughs> whatever it is you're looking for, that is already hard to navigate the health system. And when you add in all these intersecting layers, identities, demographics, it really just becomes such a difficult situation. And I think that all patients deserve to show up at the doctor's office and be affirmed in their care and what it is that they're looking for. And quite frankly, what we see right now in the health system is a lot of medical gaslighting and really just discrimination at its finest towards this community, largely in part for a lack of training and education and understanding in the system. And that's mostly because they're not taught, providers have not been taught within medical education or even in practice how to treat and care for these communities in a, in a meaningful way. And so as an organization, we try to combat that as much as possible. So while we do have the outlist, which individual providers can join for, and it's a free publicly accessible database, there are tons of other providers out there who have never had a single LGBTQ plus training module or simulation. And we try to combat that by offering training and education resources for providers who want to learn more, who want to understand the, the definitions and the communities that exist within the LGBTQ plus community. And so it's something that we pride ourselves in and will often showcase that training and education as an extra level of vetting on provider profiles. So this provider is attesting that they're affirming, but they're also taking the extra steps to educate themselves and constantly re-up every year. And so that's been something really special for us. You talk a little bit about the training that you do to ensure that providers are sensitive to the unique needs of and experiences of the community. And also, we always tend to lump it all together, LGBTQIA+, and we kind of group it all together, but each letter is significantly important. So can you talk a little bit about that? A lot of times folks will often forget about the intersectionality when it comes to this community. So within this larger umbrella of welcoming space and a community, you know, mm -hmm. you do have black, queer, lesbian women who are a part of the community. You do have um, Latinx, male, Day them, whatever the case may be, there's so many different identities that are intersecting within our larger community. And it's often hard to keep up with, at least for providers, when there's getting everybody in the office, right? But being mindful to take a minute to stop and get to know your patient and understand where they're coming from, why are they even here? It's talking about those different things that can really help you gear a healthcare journey path for that patient. And so it's looking at the whole person and not just another patient walking through the door. And I think that's something that we often forget. And so as a result, there's so many different communities within 
are LGBTQ plus community. And so we often try to work with health plans, systems, clinics, individual providers to say, hey, if you focus on the larger LGBTQ plus community, you will be talking about Black mental health. You will be talking about Latinx fertility. You will be talking about what it means to be an immigrant in the United States in the healthcare system. And so there's a way that you can definitely think about this community as a, as a larger bunch. <laughs> but You have to first acknowledge that, that that's the case. Earlier, you talked about how you are global. You're doing some stuff in Korea, some other countries. Can you talk a little bit about the global perspective of health equity for the community? Because we like to think, oh, it's something that's going on in the U.S., but it's not just something that's happening in the U.S. I follow Faye Johnstone, who's in Canada, and fighting for for rights in that country. Can you talk a little bit about that and the global perspective and how you're kind of trying to work between those kind of customs of different countries? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the U.S. likes to consider themselves, you know, the leaders in healthcare across the world and in many other facets. And that's true, right? There are a lot of aspects of, of the healthcare system in the U.S. that we are doing great things. But as we've already seen, there's been 400 plus bills that have been implemented across the country just this year. And it's not even just the states, it's across the world that we're seeing these bills that are anti-LGBTQ+, that are outright banding banning healthcare services or even you know marriage or conversion therapy things of that that sort that are just detrimental to lgbtq plus people and i will say that um generally i think we're doing a lot more but there's a lot of other countries that are starting at ground zero and you know that's where we were decades a few decades before where it was commonly the you know hiv aids conversation without any really thought about what the rest of the community was facing in terms of of marginalization and, and discrimination and disparities as an organization we try our best to work closely with individuals in certain countries and so we've been getting communication from places like israel even places like spain and ireland where they're facing you know similar issues but don't have the institutional and and policies set in place in places like the U.S. And so we try our best to really hone in and talk about training and education because that is the first step in really making a change, especially when it comes to medical providers, you know, medical students, residents, fellows, even nurses, right? Because when you walk into an office, if the front desk person who's greeting you isn't going to affirm you in your identity. You're already at a at a negative journey right there. But globally, it's really hard to, especially with language language barriers. But as an organization, we're working toward that to really try and support people where they are and utilize and empower them as the change agents within their countries, right? So saying this is how we've done and worked within the U.S. and this is what you can take back welcoming them to the states via this fellowship so that way they can learn from a national nonprofit within the states and then take back what they learned to their home country and implement a collaborative project. And so those are some ways that we've interacted and supported folks in different areas. And we continue to keep recruiting providers across the world to who resonate with this messaging and want to be resources for community members. Are there specific policy changes or advocacy 
efforts that out care health is involved in right now to increase access and rights is there anything that you're involved in currently would you like to talk about it so at the moment a lot of what we do is supporting providers and our partners where they are and so for example in places like north carolina where the bills are, are going through specifically targeting gender affirming care and even providers we often are meeting one-on-one with our state-specific teams locally to kind of talk about what are the needs, what is the current landscape of LGBTQ plus health, and how can we connect with the stakeholders to really send a message to them that, hey, this is where you should be focused, and here's an organization that can help. Because we do, as an organization, offer consultation services and try to work with systems to try and make those institutional shifts But it begins with having the conversation, right? And finding those champions who can work within their system to create that change. While we aren't able to, as a 501c3, jump directly into some of the policy matters, we do support providers and our our partners who are doing that exact work. So our partners like Whitman Walker, our friends at Glamma, Trans Health, who are working together in a coalition type manner to support providers across the country in a positive way as these laws come through. So you talked a little bit about some of the the health tech that you're involved in. I know some of our listeners are from startups and in the healthcare innovation space, but how do we ensure that digital health is inclusive and it's accessible to the community? How do we how do we measure success? Yeah, well, it starts by asking the questions, right? And those questions are valuable and then bringing in stakeholders and individuals who can speak to these specific communities right who have personal lived experiences and that can really guide you along the journey to create these you know tech equity hubs and platforms and there's so many these days right yes which is fabulous because access to care is one of the things that we care most about and that's why we partner with zocdoc for example to ensure that when providers are coming through or patients are coming through on our page looking for a provider they can schedule immediately right there using a widget and not have to leave the site at all so small things like that are just incredibly vital for this community where for a lot of people they just can't navigate the health system and having to call and then be transferred to another person and to another person is just another barrier within the system and so i think it's all about listening to the stakeholders with lived experience in in these instances and so we're pushing forth our own lgbtq plus care navigation right now in partnership with our friends at Parasuite to really guide LGBTQ plus patients who are looking for care, right? So if they want to call in and ask for specific support in a specific state or city looking for gender affirming care, HIV, STD testing and, and, and management, you know, those are things that we can connect them to in an organic way using technology and tracking SDOH data to really see what the end results are so that way we're improving health outcomes and also saving the health system money overall you said 
data, data, data. And we talk about that all the time in healthcare. What does the data stay, say? What is the data? What is the storytelling? But what is kind of emerging a lot is privacy and security, especially for the community. We did a, a, a SOGI data session at a conference and many patients spoke up and said, I'm afraid that my data will be used against me. Like we've seen that happen a couple of times. So can you talk a little bit about that and handling data privacy and security? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that we must do everything that we can in order to protect both patient and provider data. And so right now, some of these companies are popping up so quickly <laughs> and running through the steps to to you know get to the market and promote and you know support these communities but it is a concern right and when we're talking about some of these big tech giants like the facebooks and social medias that are using our data in specific ways to target us it is a, a major concern but i think that each company should focus on those issues with diversity in mind and equity in mind right and that's going to look very different per per industry per platform. But as long as you're creating that space and environment to talk about safety, I think you're doing the right thing as a company. And for our our community specifically, you know, trust in the system is at an all-time low. Trust in providers is at an all-time low in pharma with their health plans. And so we've done research as of recent to to attest to that, right? Where 50% of LGBTQ plus individuals are feeling this discrimination and this fear and distrust of the system. And so it's an important conversation. And on the flip side, we do have providers who are scared for their safety and you know they are testing and saying they're affirming in care. But we live in a world where you know there's going to be protesters who show up at your clinic because they're upset about the, the services you're providing. And so I think it all involves bringing the stakeholders to the table, right, to ensure that um, we're protecting people as much as they can. I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about what led you to become the executive director at Outcare Health. Like, it, what keeps you going, and how did you? Get, how did what led you to Outcare Health? Yeah, so I am actually originally from Philadelphia, and so back in in 2014, when I was looking for colleges, the college by the name of Wabash College came across my radar, and they flew me out and had me visit the campus and I fell in love with it. But never in my life did I think I would be in, you know, the middle of nowhere, Crawfordsville, Indiana, a town of 15K. And I honestly ended up still really falling in love with the Indianapolis overall. And so I did stay in the city, but started to focus much more on politics and advocacy. And I've always had a passion for helping people where they are, no matter what the issues they were facing. And so politics has always been that route for me. But for as a queer person who has who's been to the doctor, has been discriminated against as a Latinx gay man, you know, it's been a journey. <laughs> and I thought that at the time the work that Outcare was doing was just fabulous when it comes to connecting patients to the care that they need and deserve. And that's something that I wanted to be a part of. And so Kind of combining that passion with my background in politics and grassroots organizing. You know, I came to the organization and, and worked to increase our state teams and recruit more providers and spread the news and spread the word that this is a resource out there for queer people. 
who want to find safe spaces in healthcare. What advice do you have for individuals who want to lead organizations like OutCare Health or start a grassroots advocacy? Like what advice do you have for them to start? Well, first do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to lose? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing at all. I will say there it'll be a hurdle, right? You know, and an uphill battle because no matter what type of advocacy work you're doing, there are going to be people out there who just don't or are not as passionate about the subject as you are. And no matter how many times you knock on your door and let them know, they will still just pass you by. But I think that keeping the goal in mind at all times and what you're trying to accomplish and how that impacts lives is the focus. And keep that in mind at all possible times, even when the uphill battle (laughs) seems to be bringing you down because there's so many successful, you know, nonprofits and organizations out there doing such great advocacy work and they all face different hurdles trying to get there. But bringing together those like-minded individuals who will help you get there is definitely the the, the needed thing. What's a actionable insight we can give to our listeners to who are passionate about promoting health equity for the community. What what are some calls to action we can put out there in the universe right now? I would say one, visit outcarehealth.org. <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking for services related to you know your healthcare journey, that's where you'll find them. But I honestly will just say overall, speak up and speak out. What we find as an organization that's working in this, you know, advocacy corporate health setting is that most of the conversations are led by people speaking up about the disparities that either ex- exist within the health system, exists within the health plan, the gaps in care. And it's someone providing that feedback either to their health plan or even their provider and say, I don't think you did enough. I think speaking up and being an advocate for your own healthcare journey is the biggest thing that you can do, not only for yourself, but for the community as a whole. Those individuals are hearing and we see those folks coming to us as health plans, as providers saying, we're not doing enough and we are starting at ground zero. We don't know how to go about this, but we want to get it done. And us as an organization are are here to help fill in the gaps wherever wherever it's needed. So if somebody wanted to connect with you on social media, what's the best way for them to reach you or OutCare Health? Yeah, so we're on all social media. So Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And it's at OutCare Health. And if somebody wants to connect with you directly? They can email us at info at OutCareHealth.org. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today. And if you enjoyed our conversation, make sure to hit that subscribe button, follow us on social media, and share this episode. We want to keep you in the loop on everything that is happening in healthcare. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Again, thank you so much for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I am truly grateful for you, and I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast, or maybe leave us a rating or review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All those things help us podcasters out so much. I'm the show's host, Joy Rios, and I'll see you next time.